Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right. Well, we are in the Philippians. And if you were with us last week, uh, I hope you enjoyed Church in the Park. Did you guys like that? Was that fun? Man, that was awesome. I, I thought that it was really cool. Not literally, because it was not cool. But I mean, it was hot out, but it was really cool that we did that. And uh, we, we had a great time. And actually, we're going to schedule another one for the fall. And so it'll be a little bit cooler out. And, uh, you know, but, but what a great time to be able to go outside and just interact with the community and, and do church. That, that really is what we should do. It's really what, what we should do rather than harboring ourselves and hunkering down in, in, in the midst of the four walls of this place. We should be going out. And hopefully that's your mentality uh, when you leave this place. It's like, hey, I'm entering my mission field wherever it might be. So, uh, you know, that's the whole point of it is we want to get people used to, to being who they are in here out there. And uh, so if that's a struggle for you, know that we're trying to stretch you. We're trying to get you comfortable with that. So you can lift your hands in a park and worship God just like you can lift your hands and worship him in a sanctuary because everything's his sanctuary. He is everywhere. And so we want to give you that opportunity. But if you were with us last week, we, we dealt with a, a, a passage of Scripture that is one of my favorites and one, a personal favorite of mine, but also a very powerful passage that God has used in my own life, and it was on the topic of anxiety. If you, if you missed it, I'm sorry it didn't get recorded, but uh, maybe one of these days I'll, I'll, I'll go over it again because I would like to complete my Philippians series, but, um, but I'll do that and just record it and put it up on our website. But, you know, it's such a relevant topic, anxiety, because our, our country is riddled with anxiety, and I gave some statistics last week, 25.1% of young people between the ages of 13 to 18 struggle with some sort of anxiety disorder, as well as adults um, over the age of 18, 18.1% of, of those people struggle with some sort of anxiety. God, knowing that anxiety would be a, a very relevant topic and a big issue, made sure to address it in the scriptures. He, you know, everything that we're going to deal with in life is in the Bible somewhere. God, you know, any any relevant social issue, all of that, there's a principle in the Bible that deals with all of these things. So we don't look somewhere else to help us understand or how to, how to navigate through the issues that we have in our life. We look to the Bible because God has given it. It's complete from Genesis to Revelation. God has written 66 books to you, 66 love letters to you and I, and it is your guide for life. And everything you need to know about this life, about the life to come is in there. You know, there's much more to it, but God has willed it down, and he's, I don't want to say it down because I don't want to offend you, but he, he's brought it down to our level. He put the cookies on the shelf, on the lower shelf so everybody can get to them, and so he's given you that. Uh, and not only that, but listen, how many versions of his letters to you do we have? We got ones that are really simple to read. We have paraphrases. We have all kinds of different versions to help us be able to understand the word of God. Listen, God is taking care of you. He cares about you. He loves you, and he cares about every single detail that you're going through in your life, including those people who are just riddled with worry. He cares about these people. It, Jesus spoke directly about this issue of anxiety in Luke chapter 12. That's one of the places he mentioned it. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31. We're not going to read it, but you can jot it down if you'd like and read it later. 
Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31. But Jesus gave a commandment right off the bat, right when he began to speak about anxiety. He said this. He said, do not be anxious about your life. And you think like, whoa, when we talk about our lives, that's hard not to do, right? It's hard not to worry about my life. It's hard not to worry about, you know, all of the intricacies of my life, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, ladies. I mean, some of you guys, for real, like, what are you going to wear? Oh, my gosh, it's an all-day ordeal. But God said, don't worry about it. Do not worry about it. And the reason we worry, if we're honest, is because we're control freaks. Because we want to control, we, we have a certain vision for our life. We have certain goals and we have certain aspirations. And what we do, even subconsciously, is we navigate through life through scenarios. If this, then that. Right? Don't we do that? We're like, okay, well, if they say this, I'm going to say that. If, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. You know, if I get this job, then I'm going to do that. If, you know, and we run through scenario after scenario after scenario. You know what that does? Produces anxiety in your life. Because you're, you're coming under, and, and it's not bad to come to the conclusion that you're not in control. But a lot of us can't handle that information. A lot of us can't handle the fact that there's not a whole lot. In fact, there's very little we can do to navigate through all the different things that are going to happen in your life. We can try and avoid all kinds of stuff. We can make preparations, and it's not bad to be prepared, but there's a line where preparation, where preparedness becomes worry. There's a line where you're trying to anticipate too far, and it becomes something that controls your life. If it's controlling you, it's sin. Right? If it's controlling you, it's sin. So Jesus told us, do not be worried about your life. And then Paul reiterates it to us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about what? About anything. About anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, to somebody who struggles with anxiety, that sounds absolutely absurd. That's like saying to somebody who's depressed, hey, man, just cheer up. <laughs> just get over it, you know. And, 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 and that doesn't work well. And the reason it doesn't work well is not because that's not true. And I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. I'm talking about worry and, 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 and downtroddenness in, in, that we all go through in life. There are real physiological mental health issues that accompany these things. I'm not talking about that. But I would say that that is a fraction of the population. I would say that we are... Um, we've been, you know, driven to this cattle calling disease state of every single common thing that every person goes through. Every little worry is all of a sudden a disorder and every, I, I'm, I'm not going to preach to the choir because I know you know this, but, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about people, just normal anxiety, normal depression. You know, you can actually say to yourself, hey, get over it. Hey, cheer up. There's nothing... That, hey, stop worrying about it. Why can you do that? Paul gave us the reason why in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4. He said, because the Lord is at hand. Because the Lord is at hand. 
what that transla- that's translated, the Lord is near. And, and we talked about this. I'm just trying to give you, bring you up to date so you understand where we're going to go here in a moment. But he said, the Lord is at hand. He's near to you. Therefore, you can rejoice always, which is the verse right before that. Therefore, you can be anxious. About, you don't have to be anxious about anything because God is near you. And if God is with you and he's walking out life, you know, before you and behind you, what in the world do you have to worry about? What in the world do you have to be depressed about? Maybe things aren't working out the way that you want them to go, but do you know that the Bible says God has the plan? And every single circumstance that we go through is a circumstance that is past God's desk. And he said, He has veto power, folks. He could eliminate any circumstance from your life. He could say, nope, not happening. But if it's in your life, he allowed it for a reason. I know we don't like to hear that. But let me me couple that with the reality that if God doesn't allow hardship in our life, we will never grow. It takes pain, really, to be honest. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that it takes pain to push us forward, to really move us from being in a, in a kind of a constant state of, of just compromise or, you know, a constant state of whatever it is that, that we're, you know. So here's the thing is God allows circumstances in our life for that reason. It's not because he wants to hurt you. It's not because he's allowing the enemy to rout you. It's because he's trying to work something out good out in your life for you, right? And so that's biblical truth. But if we go by our feelings, then we're going to say, I don't like that. I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't think God would do any of those things. And there's plenty of that theology out there. My Bible says God is sovereign. That means he's in control of every single thing. There's not a thing that he's not in control of. And therefore, I don't have to worry about it because guess what? My life is his and my problems are his problems, right? That's the reality. That's why Paul says don't worry. Listen, that's what Jesus said, don't worry. We can live worry-free because the Lord is at hand. Well, that plays into, as we move forward into verses uh, 8 and 9 here to this morning, about this, this, this idea of how to... Uh, the title of my message is Creating uh, a, a Good Headspace. Creating a Good Headspace. And the, the idea is how do we maintain, how do we obtain and maintain that place in our lives where we can be positive no matter what's going on, where we can really rejoice always, right? And we can be anxious. We don't, we don't have to be anxious about anything. How can we do that? Well, Paul gives us the how-to in verses 8 and 9 here. So that's where we're going this morning. Stand with me, and we're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to really pick it up in verse 4, and then we're going to read all the way down through verse 9. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, for giving us the key to maintaining pure joy in our lives, no matter what we're going through. It's all a matter of mindset. Your, your word tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so here we are this morning. Lord, our hearts are open. Our minds are open. Will you come and transform us? Will you give us a truth that we can literally be transformed this morning to? We ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us rightly divide your word this morning. And so we just, we just ask for every word to be from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you haven't noticed, there is a movement going on in our culture today, and it's all about headspace. You ever heard that term? Like, hey, my headspace, I got to get, get good headspace. Well, what, is, what does that mean? If you're still stuck in, like, the 19th century, let me bring you up to speed a little bit. So what that means is speaking about your state of mind. You know, and it's just a, I, I don't know, it's a trendy way to say, hey, we need to work on our mind. We have to work on our mindset, you know, Jesus said in Philippians chapter 2, or, or Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, one of my favorite verses as well, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also. Right? If you read the scriptures throughout over and over again, you're going to hear this concept about protecting your mind, preparing your mind. Sometimes it uses the word heart. It's the same thing. The heart and the mind in the Bible are the same. He's not talking about your literal heart. He's talking about the central place where you make your decisions, where your emotions are from, where the centrality of who you are. When he talks about the heart, when he talks about the mind, when he says in Proverbs you know, 4.23, you know, be diligent with your heart, for out of it spring the issues of life, what he's talking about is your mind. He's talking about the central place that you make decisions. Be diligent with that. And so Paul said... Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also. He says you have to have a proper mindset if you're going to be able to live out the principles of the Bible. Not only do we need the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also need the proper mindset. You know, we sang a song earlier that said we have all we need, and that's a scripture from 1 Peter, that, that we, we have all we need for life and godliness. God has given us everything we need. And yet, there's this paradigm within that that we're in control of. What we allow into our brain. What we allow to meditate, our, what, what we allow our brain to meditate on. What we allow our hands and our feet and our mouth and our ears to do and say and hear and, and see. God has given you, uh, you know, control over those things. Now, he's still 100% in control. And he's working within those uh, you know, within that to draw you to himself and to change and shape you. But he's given you the capacity to manage your thoughts, to manage your brain, to make sure that your headspace, you know, it, it, he's given you the 100% authority over your headspace. He said, you know, here, but I'm going to give you some principles to help you deal with um, you know, to, to, to create this positive state, to create this mindset that is unbeatable. And that's what it really comes down to. Now, 
anybody who knows anything about this knows that the, the, the greatest method in which uh, the, the world is dealing with depression, anxiety, all this stuff, the, the methodology that they're using, it's not medicine. It does not work, right? Medicine, uh, not for everybody, but for the majority of people, they don't need medicine. They, they need a change of mind. They need, they need help in their mind. And so there's, a, there's different organizations like headspace.org and different places like that that are saying, meditation is the key to maintaining a good headspace, right? So, so they're telling us that uh, from a, you know, a, a mental state, you can create a positive mental state by, by, by literally doing what Paul said, taking every thought captive. Now, when the world says, the, well, let, me, let me rephrase this, when the medical community says meditation, they're not talking about Eastern mysticism. They're not talking about, you know, um, you know they're talk, what they're talking about is, is spending a specific period of time thinking about every thought as it comes in and taking that, cop, that, that thought captive and running it through a grid to help you determine, is that true? Is that thought worthy of me to ponder on? You know, literally not escaping into some known... No, unknown place where you're just being. No, it's literally being very conscious about every thought that you have. That's what it means from a medical standpoint of meditating. And that's what, what the, the kind of psychologists and, and different people are, are saying we need to practice. That's the exact same thing Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. He said, we're called to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Why? Because thoughts become practice. Because your thoughts become action. That's why. That's why he said you have to take every thought captive. And so, uh, you know, listen, that's, that's a, a full-time job, right? Do you know how many thoughts you have in a day? 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. It's a full-time job to manage your thoughts. And if you don't manage them well, you're going to be depressed. You're going to have anxiety you're going to have issues in your life. You're, you're, going to, you're going to have a lot of issues. You need to manage your thought life. That's why God put it in the Bible, folks, because it's important. And if our lives are lived out by a certain mindset, then we need to really hear what the Bible says about that. Paul gives us a, a sort of a grid to run through when we're taking every thought captive in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He tells us, you know, here's a grid that we, need to, that we need to run through. And if we'll run it through this grid, because what we ponder becomes practice, if we'll run it through this grid, our lives will change, right? If we run it through sort of this, the, this biblical worldview, if we run it through the scriptures, as Paul will tell us to, our lives will look like Jesus. So this is life transforming. If you take what's being said here seriously, you will be transformed this morning. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. I don't care what state you were in with the Lord. You could, you know, you could have memorized the entire Bible. I don't care. If you run it through this grid, you will be transformed. Does anybody want to be transformed this morning? Man, I, I want to be changed. I want to become more like Jesus. And so my job is to help you, help me, figure out through the Scriptures, how do we do that? Like, let's apply this together. That's why we're a body. That's why we're here together, so that we can help each other. But... You know, the reality is, is that this is, this is not only spiritually healthy, but this is physically healthy. 
to, to, to meditate, to, to take every thought captive. Studies show that practicing meditation daily improves brain efficiency by improving sustained attention and impulse control. Some of us really need that. Uh, meditation also has a positive effect on epilepsy, symptoms of premenstrual syndrome and menopausal syndromes or symptoms, as well as mood and anxiety disorders, autoimmune illness, and emotional disturbances. This is science. We're not talking the Bible. We're talking science. So there's a physiological, there's an emotional effect attributed to, there's a, there's a, a mood enhancement that comes with, with following what the Bible says. In fact, a pilot study was published in the Journal of Traumatic Stress in October of 2008, examining the effects of a manualized meditation intervention for people that had post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, depression, and anxiety symptoms, and it was amongst 20 African-American and Caucasian mental health workers in New Orleans 10 weeks after Hurricane Katrina. So crisis happened. 10 weeks later, they start this eight-week study. And they say, okay, let's see how meditation plays a role in affecting PTSD and in affecting depression and anxiety. Listen, when you're put in a, a circumstance where it's so overwhelming, right, it's emotionally, you know this, it's emotionally draining and, and physically draining, and you're so tired, you're like, man, the trial is so hard. And yet, listen to this. It, it, during the eight weeks of people, um, uh, you know, practicing meditation on a daily basis, they found that the participants' PTSD, depression, and anxiety symptoms significantly decreased. And these improvements, listen to this, were directly correlated with the number of minutes of meditation practiced. Directly correlated to the number of minutes meditation practiced. Meditation is the new life hack for the professional community. Do you know that? Meditation. Some of the, 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 the 90 percent of the super successful in our world practice meditation on a daily basis. Tony Robbins, you, you probably know his name. He's one of the world's greatest motivators, claims that his morning hour of power meditation routine dramatically changed his life. One hour of meditation. Uh, John Paul DeJore, founder of Paul Mitchell, begins his day with just five minutes of meditation. Steve Jobs credited meditation for giving him the capacity to lead multiple companies, including Pixar and the stratosphere of the business world. Google, Apple, Amazon now all offer meditation classes to their employees. We're talking medical meditation here. They've even, listen, these companies have even installed sensory deprivation tanks, which is supposed to help you get to that state of being able to just you know, take every thought captive. I can't wait till Calvary Chapel installs one of those things. I need one. No, I'm just kidding. But why am I saying this? Because terms like this meditation, like when you hear it from the pulpit, you know that it has a biblical meaning. But that biblical meaning is being translated in the world and the world is taking it and, it's, and is using it, and it works. You see, I find it incredibly sad that we as Christians are waiting for the world to validate what God has been saying for years, uh, thousands of years. Like, why are we looking to science to validate 
what God has already told us in the Bible. I mean, do you not see this happening? I mean, how many of you know the um, incredible health benefits of fasting? Now, now let me ask you another question. Do you, how many of you know it because you read an article about it in the, in the world, about some physiological effect that helps the body do that? How many of you know fasting for that purpose? Like, just because it's healthy to do. Anybody ever heard that? A lot of us have heard that, right? How many of you have heard it that we're supposed to do it because it's biblical? You know? So, so what I'm saying, what I'm telling you is that a lot of us, like, we're, ga we're gaining information uh, from the Bible, and we're not believing it until the world says, hey, this is really good for you. You should do this. Like, you should fast because it's really healthy for you and all these kinds of things. And yet, we don't fast because God just said to fast. We want, we want the world to validate these things. It's a shame, really. But the Bible talks about, you know, I'm, I tell you all this information about, about meditation because the Bible has been saying this over and over and over again. The first time the Bible mentions meditation is when Isaac is, is, goes outside and, and he's waiting on, um, uh, wait, well, it's actually Jacob, when he's waiting on his wife. No, it's Isaac. It's Isaac. It's in Genesis. I'm sorry. I just read it. Dang it. <laughs> oh, man. Now I got myself in trouble. It's in Genesis 31. I know that. Okay, it's Isaac. Anyway. He sees... Leah, or Rachel, coming. And it says that he was out in the field meditating. He was out in the field meditating. God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1-8, he said this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the seat, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And again, in Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. The Bible, over and over and over again, instructs believers to meditate upon God's word and upon God's works, to meditate on those things, to think about those things, to ponder those things. Why? Because it is what will help you stay in a good mind space, a good head space. It will keep you in a positive state. It will direct you to the feet of Jesus. It will keep you in perfect peace. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. The Bible tells us that that if we keep our minds stayed on God, we will be in perfect peace. Paul wants us to understand it is absolutely vital for us to take every thought captive because what we ponder becomes our practice. That's really how I broke these verses down. First, we're going to consider the pondering, then we're going to consider the practice. First, the pondering in verses, verse 8 there where he says, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, you've heard it said that you are what you eat, right? 
You believe that? You are what you eat. Like, the food you intake in your body matters. It becomes nutrients and a fuel source for your body. It can also hurt you. If you take toxins in, you can get cancer. You know, you take toxins in, it can give you heart disease. There's all kinds of, what we, what we eat matters. What we intake matters. And so the same is, is true for what we think. What the, 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 the thoughts that we allow into our brain matter. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, he said, for as he thinks in his heart, again, his mind, so he is. So he is. Our minds move our feet into action. If you ponder on bad things, guess what? You will do bad things. If you ponder on good things, you will do good things. We all, this is like elementary, right? It's like, okay, we get it, yeah. Well, let's practice it. Let's, let's do that. Let's ponder on good things. Let's be diligent about what we allow into our minds, right? Paul is trying to un- instruct us that how we think will become how we live. He tells, us, he tells us how to think so that we can live right. In these passages, he says, think about these things. That word think there literally means to think about something in a detailed and logical man- manner, to think about, to reason about, to ponder. I love this. The Bible commands us to be thinkers, to be thinkers. The world thinks that we check our brain in when we become a Christian, like, right? We're just like, hey, I don't need my brain anymore. I got God, right? No, the Bible says the exact opposite. It said you should be the greatest thinkers in the world. You should be the most educated people about creation. You, you, you should be a thinker, man. You should, you should understand, you know, who God is and what he's doing in the world. We don't check our brain when we become a Christian and just say, no, I'm good. I'm going to heaven now. I just, I'm just waiting. We become learners. We're, that's what the word disciple means. It means learner. Like we're learning. We're supposed to be pursuing the Lord. Some of you know your job way better than you know the Lord. Some of you, you know, know your routine far better than you know your way through the Bible. And, and, and you know, listen, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm saying let's take this serious. Let's do what the Word of God says. Let's really consider what we're allowing in our brain. So that we can, so our feet can match what our mouth says. So that the world can stop saying, see, look at that Christian over there, like they just did with Kenneth Copeland. If you saw the, the YouTube video where he got, he got caught coming off a plane, and the, the reporter who, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but her grandparents, both her, on both her sides, her, her grandfathers were pastors. She asked him, hey, Kenneth, do you think it's appropriate for a, a pastor to have, you know, as many um, private jets as you do? Think it's appropriate for you to be worth $785 million? Worth $7,500? i am not here to discuss that. I'm just saying that, you know what? These kinds of issues, we, we don't want the world to be able to, to point the finger at us. And I'm telling you what, the world will point the finger, but it won't be justified. Some of the pointing is justified. A lot of the pointing is justified. The stuff that makes it on the news, you're like, oh, my gosh. Why? Philippians 4.8, man. Just do that, please. Philippians 4.8. The Bible commands us to be thinkers. 
we, we need to be thinkers. God wants us to think because as we think, we are. And, and here's what I know. The more I search for answers to questions that I have, and th- this is also a false premise in, in, the, in the church as well, is we're not supposed to ask questions. We're just supposed to, you know, I, you know what? Do your kids ask you as a parent why? Why? I think God is fully capable of answering that question if he wants to. I don't think it's incorrect to ask it. I don't think it's incorrect to ask God questions about, it's incorrect to question God, but it is not incorrect to question, to ask questions to learn. God, I want to know more. Help me know more. I don't understand. You know, you've pondered all kinds of questions, but I think it's one of those things in the church where people go, oh, oh, but we don't want to question God. Well, no, I'm not questioning God. I'm just asking a question. Those are two different things. It's okay to ask questions. When I ask questions, and in fact, it's really primarily in, the, in the, that question-asking moment is when I really grow because I begin to open up and I begin to seek God in a different way, right? I'm not just reading my Bible casually and saying, oh, I, I'm just, just reading because uh, it's healthy for me to read and I love to know God more and, and all that. But when I have a focus and I'm like, I, I don't understand why this is like this, Lord, and I start to search that and study that out, guess what? God's saying, keep asking. You keep asking those questions because I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper. Sometimes in my studies, as I'm coming across things, I tr- I've kind of tried to manage it a little bit more than I used to, but I would get sidetracked for hours on something. Next thing I know, I'm like, dude, this has nothing to do <laughs> with my study, but man, was that good. I'm not going to share it with anybody, but boy, was that awesome, you know. <laughs> God wants us to think. He wants us to ask questions. He wants us to grow, right? When we come in on Sunday morning, we're coming to be discipled. We're coming to, 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 we're coming to, to meet with God, to meet with his people, right? We're coming to share some spiritual gift that we've been given that we want to share with other people. We're, you know, these are, you know, serving. We're all doing, we should be doing these things because these are, this is what God calls us to. We're a family. But one of the other things that we're here to do is learn. We want to learn. We want to learn from the Lord. We want to know what he thinks about things. And so as we hear the word of God, if we don't have our brain with us when we come in, if we didn't turn our, you know, put our thinking cap on when we came in and we're like, oh, you know, I'm just here for the coffee or whatever it is or the fellowship or whatever, and we're not hearing, we're not going to learn. Do you know that it's possible to sit in a church for years and years and years and hear thousands of sermons and not grow a single iota. Do you know that? It's possible. Because when you check your brain out, and your brain is responsible for your actions, and the most important time of the week is right here maybe, you know, for us, maybe some of us, and we, we're not thinking, then you know what? It's, our lives aren't going to change. And then what bothers me is then we blame God. Yeah, I, I didn't... Man, there's no power in this thing. I don't know. There's no power in this Christianity thing. There's no, you know, where is the life change that I hear about and all this kind of stuff? It, it's there. It's there, but you see, God's not the problem. It's you. You're the problem. Do you want to know God? The Bible says if you seek him, you'll, you'll know him. If 
you seek him what? Half-heartedly? No, with all your heart, right? It's, it's a pursuance of God. And listen, God's pursued you already, and he continues to pursue you. But when you pursue him back, it's like double time, man. It's like he opens the floodgate up, and all of a sudden you have understanding. We need to be thinkers because thinking changes our lives. A lot of people come into church, and they're worried about the experience more than they are about what was said. Is that sad? Like, hey, I didn't really feel worship today. Boy, that message wasn't really entertaining. And really the question should be asked when we leave, it's not how we feel, but how do we think about what was said? Do we agree with that? What does the scripture say about that? How, like we should be examined, how am I measured up against what was said this morning? That's the point. Like that's what a disciple does, a learner said, here's, the, here's what was said, now how do I meet, meet up to that, and how can I apply that into my life? Right? And that takes thought. The problem is, is people are seeking experience over transformation. Uh, Pastor Bill Hall wrote a book called Right Thinking, and in it he said, what scares me is the anti-intellectual, anti-critical thinking philosophy that's spilled over into the church. The philosophy tends to be a romanticized uh, view of the faith, making the local church into an experience center. Their concept of church is that they are spiritual consumers and that church, the church's job is to meet their felt needs. And do you know that is really true? That is true. In fact, some of the pillars of the faith back in the 17th century were starting to already see this trend and starting to say, if you, read, if you read some of the old dead guy stuff, you know, like you read some of their sermons, Spurgeon and, and these kind of guys, they're already talking about this happening in the church, how this, this movement is becoming a more of a consumer-orientated church rather than how can I give? It's more about what can I get, right? And, and we're here, we're here because of God, and we're here to give him everything that we have. You know, that's our time, our attention, our service, whatever it is. We're, called, we're here to give him everything. And yet the church has become a, a kind of like a smorgasbord, a buffet table of what, what do you have to offer me today? You know, what can you offer me? The church is a training, uh, training center for soldiers, folks. It's a training center for soldiers, and it's also a hospital for the sick. It's both. It is not, what can you do for me? It is, I want to be part of, what can I do for you, Lord? And when you come into this place, that's the point. Many gauge the church by experience only, and how it makes them feel rather than what it makes them think. MacArthur commented, too many people go to church not to think or reason about the truths of Scripture, but to get their weekly spiritual high, to feel that God is still with them. Such people are spiritually unstable. Listen, not period. He didn't stop there. There's more. He said, because they base their lives on feelings rather than on thinking. Why does thinking matter? Because your feelings will fool you. You cannot trust your feelings. This, I, this concept of, hey, just do what your heart says is absolutely unbiblical. Do not do what your heart says. 
because your heart will lead you astray. Do what the Bible says. I, I can tell you that there are things that my heart says that I should not do because it does, that's contrary to what the Bible says, right? So we need to be careful with these things. We're called to, to make disciples, not experiences. That is the command. Think on these things. Meditate, ponder on these things. And there's eight of them that Paul lays out for us that will help lead us to a good headspace. First is we're supposed to meditate on whatever is true, the truth. We meditate on the truth. Just as much as the, it's, it's important about the kind of food that I take in, it's important about the kind of information I take in. If I'm on YouTube and I'm listening to all these different conspiracies and all these different kinds of teachers that have all these weird views on all these different things, I am going to be a complete mess, right? I need, God will lead you to somebody who will disciple you. And I, I firmly believe that it should be somebody face-to-face. -face. I think you should find somebody in the local church or somebody, your neighbor, whoever it is, somebody that has some spiritual maturity that you can sit under and you can say, train me. I want to be trained. I want to be discipled. And as a mature believer, if you're, if you're, you know, whether you're mature or not, you also should be looking for who can I disciple? Who can I train up? And, and, and the information that we use is the Word of God, the truth. We don't use philosophy. We don't use cool Christian sayings. We use the Word of God. We don't, we don't pull out, you know, big ideas and just... You know, no, we need to disciple. That's why we go verse by verse through the Bible, because it's the truth. And we want to run it through the grid. We don't want to miss a thing. So we want to run everything through the truth. Now, why is this so important? Why does Paul say, so first thing he says is make sure you're meditating on the right thing, the truth. Make sure you have the truth, because, listen, the devil is a liar. That's why. And from day one, the stumbling that happened in the Garden of Eden was a result of a half-truth, which is a full lie. He said to Eve, did God really say that you would die if you ate of this? I just think he's keeping you from something. I don't know. Questioning God's word. That wasn't a question for God. That was questioning God. The devil will always bring a lie into your life that will contradict the truth of the Bible. And we see it in the word. We see it in the world today. Guys, we see it in the church where people are saying, Hey, you know what? It's no longer about what the Bible says. Oh, we just didn't, we haven't understood that. Yeah, yeah, for what, 1,800 years, 2,000 years, we didn't understand that, but today we have better revelation. We understand it better. These things are really acceptable. People didn't really understand what that meant, right? That's not really what that says, but throughout the whole, everybody in the church is wrong except for this generation of people. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? I mean, come on. It's that absurd, but yet... People walk into it by the groves just blindly. Why? Because they're suppressing, listen, as Romans 1, suppressing the truth with a lie. The enemy knows how to suppress the truth with a lie. We need to make sure what we're consuming is the truth. Number two, we need to, uh, we need to meditate on what is ever is honorable or noble or worthy of our respect. These are, don't waste your thoughts on things that are not noble that aren't honorable, that aren't, uh, you know, worthy of respect. Ask yourself, is this worth thinking about? Is this thought worthy of my time? 
or should I just discard it? If it's sinful, then it's not worthy. But if it's honorable, then it's worthy. You know the saying, garbage in, garbage out. Meditate on things that are honorable. Thirdly, meditate on things that are just. That word means right or righteous. It's literally thinking that lines up with God's thoughts. Everything that God thinks is right. Everything that he says is right. So we don't conform God to our image. We want to be conformed to his image. And so we line up our thinking with what he says. We want to meditate on things that are just, that are righteous. Fourthly, whatever is pure. These thoughts are free from contamination. They're moral and clean and undefiled. <laughs> They're G-rated, if you know what I mean. Wholesome is a good word. David said it like this in Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. God's word is pure and it, become, it will keep our thoughts pure. This reminds me of a, of a statement that John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote in his Bible. He wrote this. He said, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That was a little note to himself. Hey, John, what's your spiritual temperature? You know, do you want to read the Bible today or not? I don't want to read the Bible today. Well, there's probably sin in your life because you don't want to be confronted. This book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Wow. Meditate on things that are pure. Finally, fifthly, whatever is Lovely. This, this word, this is the only time this word is used in, in the New Testament, and it's used here, and it could be translated sweet, gracious, uh, generous, patient, or pleasing. Not to us, but pleasing to God. You know, God sees your thoughts. They're not hidden. You know, we, we, we sometimes, you ever had that, <laughs> that thought of, what if my thoughts were like, projected up on the screen, you know, and people would be like, oh, wait a second, you know, you're trying to cover it, but it doesn't work, and it's still up there, and you're like, oh, man, you're trying to, but, but, but the, literally, God sees your thoughts. Do you know that? He sees every one of them. Are they lovely to him? Are they pleasing to him? Sixthly, meditate on what is commendable. This could be translated admirable. Perhaps this is where we get the saying, I love the way you think. You ever said that to somebody? Like they just say some statement or something, or like, well, what if we did this? Man, I love the way you think. What you're saying is that their thinking, the patterns of their thinking is commendable. It's admirable. Like I wish my thoughts thought like that. Like, like I read some, there's guys out there that can communicate their heart to God so clearly so impactfully that I'm like, Lord, I wish my brain would do that. I mean, because there's so, I mean, you know what I, you know how it is when there's so much more that you want to say, but words can't really do it. And you have, you don't, you're grasping for words to even try and describe what it is that's going on in your mind. You're like, I can't even communicate what it is that I know. But I admire people who can. 
And it's incredible to watch. Man, I love the way that that guy communicates, the way his brain thinks that he's able to use these words to describe the Lord. I love that. Think about things that are commendable. Seventh, if there's anything excellent, that means a virtue in the King James, New King James Version. It literally means moral excellence. If there's anything morally excellent, then think on these things. Reminds me of, you know, a comment that Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan said in the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. They're great theologists. He said, you know what he said, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes, you know, be excellent to each other. The idea, meditating on things that are excellent, moral excellence. God is excellent. Meditate on him, finally. Whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. This could be restated as anything that deserves the thinker's praise. Think about that. Anything that God deems praiseworthy, think on these things. What is praiseworthy? What is praiseworthy? Anything that elevates God. Anything that elevates God, that is praiseworthy. Anything that does not elevate God is not worth your thinking on. It's not worth thinking about. But think on things that are praiseworthy, that elevate God, that make God big. Listen, God is far too small in your brain right now. Your thoughts about God are far too small. And the bigger they become, the bigger He becomes in your life. So you, you want to find those praiseworthy things to meditate on. You want to see, you know, it, whether, it's ex, whether it's testimonies of other people that God has used or testimonies in your own life or, you know, what God is doing in, in, in a person or in a church or in a, in a movement, whatever it is. But find something praiseworthy to meditate on and, and your, your understanding of God will, will, will evolve and you become, he'll become far bigger in your mind. Paul gives us these eight things. He said, man, if you'll just ponder on these things, you'll be transformed. Your life will change. Because what you ponder on becomes your practice. He goes on here in verse 9. What have you learned and received and have heard and seen in me? Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Again, <laughs> it's simple. He just says practice them. Practice them. Just do it. What things? Not only is he speaking about the eight things that he just said, but I think he's also referring to all the way back up to verse 4 where he's saying rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your, uh, you know, I don't know what the rest of it says. It's right here. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think on these things and then practice these things. It's not enough to hear them, but you also need to do them. Like we hear, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and we leave. We go, <laughs> you know, five minutes out the, out the door, you're like, why is this guy putting me off? Wait a second. 
Didn't you just hear a sermon about this? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Hey, come on in. Come on in, brother. You want to come in too? Go for it. You know, well, let's rejoice in the Lord. Or as soon as you hit the, hit the, uh, hit the parking lot, you know, you get a phone call from somebody and now you're, you're, you're riddled with worry. Don't be anxious about anything. I mean, have you not figured it out yet that whatever you hear on Sunday, you're going to experience this next week? I mean, that's the way it works. God's like, hey, dude, you're going to take a test on Monday morning when you walk in the office, and we're going to see if, you're, if you were listening or if you were nodding off, right? He's going to give you a test. You want to know why? Because he wants you to be a learner. He wants you to be a hearer because he knows that if you will apply this to your life, dude, your life will never be the same. It will be far greater than it is. And I don't care how great it is already. It can get greater right? He can do more. And so if we just practice these things about what he's saying, listen to what he says. This isn't theology speaking. This is Paul speaking from a practical standpoint. And he's saying what you have learned and what you've received and heard and seen, listen, not in Joe Blow across the street, not in John Deere over in Jerusalem. No, he's saying in me. Paul is saying, let me just get real personal with you. Whatever you've learned Whatever you've received, whatever you've heard, and whatever you've seen in me, practice these things. Whoa. You mean my life is a model for somebody else? Yeah. Don't you know people are watching you? The world's watching. You know, people in your, your kids are watching. Your, your spouse is watching. People are watching. They want to see if Jesus is real. And thank God that that pressure's not on your shoulders. Like, you know, I got to make sure I do it all right because I got to make sure Jesus, they know that Jesus is real. Thank God that he doesn't put that kind of a pressure on you. But, but here's, here's the thought. God can use your life to draw people to himself. Right? If, if, if you'll commit to doing these things, God can use your life to draw people to himself. People can look at your life and go, how come you're acting like this when I know this is what's going on in your life? And you can say, let me tell you about Jesus. God can use your life to draw people to himself if you apply his word. You're not going to do it perfectly. You know, some of the greatest, some of the greatest uh, testimonies or some of the greatest um, illustrations in people's lives of when they've messed up and then they've come back and said, hey, will you forgive me? That blows the world's mind. Do you know that? Like the world's thinking about self, and when you come along and say, hey, will you forgive me for that, man? I, I totally was out of line. I should not have done that. Did you represent God? Yeah. You know, are you, are, are, you know, are you, are, is that forgivable? Yeah, it is. Does that mean we're flipping about it? No. But here's what I'm saying is God uses your mistakes too. Right? So you have to look at it like, hey, no matter what I'm doing, as long as I'm running it through the grid, as long as I'm doing what the Bible says and I'm saying, hey, when I, when I sin against a brother, I go to that brother and say, hey, will you forgive me for that? God can use that. It's totally on them how they respond. But the reality is, is that God can use your life. Paul wasn't saying by any means when he said in, in chapter, what was it, chapter 3, 
where he said, chapter 3, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. He wasn't saying, I'm perfect. Just, just do what I do because I do it perfectly. That's not what he was saying. He's saying, just watch me because I'm going to apply the word of God. And when I blow it, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. He's saying, look at my life and just do what I'm doing. But here's the thing is you have to be a learner first. And it doesn't stop there. You can't just be a learner. You have to be a receiver. You can't just hear truth and do nothing with it. If you do, then you'll sit in the seat and you'll hear thousands of sermons over and over and over again and you'll never, ever change because you're not receiving the word. The truth goes forward. You learn, but then you have to receive. That, that's why Paul said in... 2 Timothy 3, 7, there are people that are always learning and never able to attain to the knowledge of the truth because they won't receive. And listen, when you receive something, then you're open to hear more, right? If you're unwilling to hear, if you're unwilling to, to, to uh, receive something from somebody, your ears are shut. Your eyes are closed. You don't care what they think or what they say. But, but when, you're, when you have received a word, whether it's a rebuke or, a, you know, some, or, or it's, a, it's a good word, whatever the case might be, then all of a sudden your ears are open and you can hear more. And your eyes are open and you can see more. It's a process. It starts with learning, which, which is the be very beginning, but you have to be willing to receive it. Then you can hear, then you can see. Some of us just want to see and hear then we'll receive, and then we'll learn. It doesn't work that way. You learn first. The word of God goes forth. Faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the word goes forward. You decide whether you're going to receive it or not. When you receive it, then your ears are open and your eyes are opened. And that's what Paul is saying. Practice these things. Be a learner. Be a, be a receiver. Be a hearer. And be somebody who is able to see. And Paul promises us what? The peace of God. The peace of God. He said, practice these things and the, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. That word practice, it's the same word that's used in the litany of sins that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5 where he says, if you practice such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He also says, if you practice these things, God, the God of peace will be with you. It's a promise. He said, man, if you practice these things, you're going to see God big time in your life. He'll be there. You won't. And, and it's not that he's not there when you're not, but you're, you're separated from him. Sin separates you, you from God. You break your fellowship with God. You might have peace with God already, but if you want the peace of God, you need to practice these things and live in such a way, such a manner that God, you know, you can be in right fellowship with God. That's what he's saying. That word practice means habitual. It means something that you're doing over and over again. And it, it's, uh, it's a statement that is, it's imperative. It's active. It's present. Something we should always do. 
It's not, we don't ever arrive at this. It's something we always should be applying to our lives. So here's the thing. If you want, the prescription for peace is, is just practicing these things. You want the presence of God in your life? You want to know his peace and all of that? Practice these things. You'll see it. And it's available for anybody. All you have to do is be willing to, to apply the word of God in your life. Whether it's salvation, you've never come to Christ before, and you're saying, hey, I want to be cleansed of my sin, great. God will do that for you if you come to him and you believe on Jesus Christ, that his death and his resurrection was for you, and that by faith you're believing that he, he took your place on the cross. It says if you, if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So there's that. But then there's also the Christian who is just saying, man, I'm not living right. And so you don't sense God's presence in your life. You don't have the peace of God. And so you just say, hey, man, repent and get back. The peace of God is there. God is, God's presence is here. You know, he doesn't leave you, but you do have a separation of fellowship with God. So it's available to anybody who wants it. I just want to close with three things. Finally, that's what a pastor says. It was Paul said here, he's still got some more to say. I'm literally going to be like two minutes. So here's what he says. Three practical ways to creating a good headspace. All right? What we ponder is what we practice. Number one, be careful about what you allow your brain to consume. Be careful about what you allow your brain to consume. Content matters. Don't let junk in your brain. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vi vigilance for for from it uh, flow the springs of life. Number two, start and end your day with the Word of God. Start and end your day with the Word of God. It doesn't matter. Joshua 1.8, meditate on the Word day and night. Start your day and end your day with the Word of God. It doesn't have to be a lot. You don't have to read six chapters of the Bible. Listen, just get in God's Word, even if it's a verse. Start your day and end your day with the Word of God. And thirdly, try and apply something that you've read every day. Try and apply something that you read every day. James chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Try and apply just something that God has spoken. Yesterday, I was, um, as soon as I was done with my study, I was, I don't even know what it was about, but immediately I was coming into my uh, kitchen and a thought came across my mind and I said, nope. I was applying already. I didn't even, it wasn't conscious. Like, I was like, well, I better apply this, you know. But, but it just caught, like the Spirit of God, I was uh, uh, walking in God's presence and automatically it just took that thought captive and nope, that's not right. I'm telling you that God's Spirit is the one that does the work. And if we'll just, <laughs> we'll just get out of the way and let him work, he will do it. But he needs you to open up the door. He wants you to open up the door. It's three simple things, man. Be careful what you let your brain consume. Read the word of God day and night, just a little bit, something. Number three, apply what you have read. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness. And God, we thank you for, being, for discipling us that we have a book before us that is a discerner of hearts that's able to speak into our lives in every circumstance situation that has wisdom beyond 
anybody that we know, Lord. We, we run to our friends and ask them for help when we have your word that it, you're all-knowing and your word is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we want to be all that you want us to be and we know that you want us to be far greater than where we are. And you're not, and you're here this morning and you're just saying, man, listen to my word. Walk in my spirit. I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And so we thank you, God. We just ask you to continue to move in this, in this last few moments of our service. And as we continue to pray, and if you're, if you're struggling, we, we talked about it last week, but with anxiety, depression, if you have things going on in your life, the Word of God has just, been, has just displayed a method for you to be able to walk through, to, to create a, a, a good headspace. You know, but it doesn't happen until you have a right relationship with Jesus, until you've made Him the Lord of your life. And so if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a right relationship with God that wants the peace of God in their life, I just want to give you an opportunity this morning as we continue to pray, as people are praying for you. Like, this is the best decision you could ever make in your life. This isn't a car salesman pitch at the end of, the, end of a service. This is life transforming. God wants to save your soul. He wants to forgive you for your sin. If you're online, if you're listening on the radio right now, this is for you too. God wants to do a work in your life. He wants to save you. And if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand, whether, hey, you could be in your car, you could be in your living room, you could be in this sanctuary. If you don't have a right relationship with God and you're not 100% sure you're going to go to heaven, you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, lift your hand. I just want to give you the opportunity. Anyone at all. It is absolutely. God bless you. Is there anyone else? As you raise your hand, you can put it down after I acknowledge that. Is there anyone else here this morning? God is an amazing God, and relationship with Him is something that you're searching for if you don't know it. It's what you need. One last call. Anybody else need a relationship with the Lord this morning? Want to be forgiven for your sins? All right, if you're online, if you're listening to the radio, here at the sanctuary, if you raise your hand, we want to just ask the Lord to become the, ask, ask Jesus to become the Lord of your life. And it's a simple prayer, a sincere prayer that is turning from your sin and turning to Him. And so if you will just say these words in your own heart to the Lord, God, I come right now in Jesus' name, a sinner wanting to be transformed. I'm leaving my past behind. I, I want a whole new future with you. Will you forgive me for my sin, for living outside of what you would want me to? I believe Jesus came, that he died, his blood was spilt for me, and that he rose again from the dead for me. And I am making him the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. And we thank you, Lord, for... Amen. Amen. But I want to pray for somebody else here. I don't know who, but... Father, I just pray that you will... that you'll meet the needs here today, Lord. I know that there are heavy burdens on people's hearts. 
I mean, I know you're here. And I know that our thought life plagues us, Lord. And so somebody needs to be set free from their mind this morning. And you know, and they know. Will you come even now, Lord? And will you release their brain? And will you fill it with things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are pure, that are lovely, that are commendable? Lord, will you put thoughts of excellence in their mind, thoughts of praiseworthiness, Lord? They're not a mistake, Lord. You want them to know they're not a mistake, that you love them. And so we just lift that up to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.